Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Meet Seamus. He and his wife are driving in their new Citroen C5 Aircross SUV to her birthday dinner, which he forgot in a restaurant that she had to book. She married a cliché. This could be a very uncomfortable drive. Except the Citroen C5 Aircross SUV comes with advanced comfort seating and progressive hydraulic cushion suspension, making it a very comfortable drive indeed. Citroen. Engineered for comfort. See citroen.ie. Welcome to the Dope Black Dads podcast, a place where we are changing the narrative and having progressive conversations about black fathers, as well as creating a safe digital space for the community. This is the Dope Black Dad podcast. My name is Marvin Harrison. We're back this week and I'm, I feel a little bit, I feel good. I feel good today. I'm just going to talk about myself for a minute because myself is important. Self-care is important. This has been a tough time and I'm feeling good. I feel I've got my mojo back. Everyone that uh, listens to this podcast re- regularly knows that I probably overworked myself for 10 months of the year, collapsed for two months of the year, and I feel like I'm back. I feel like my, my inner child is strong. Um, today, I'm over the moon specifically in addition to how I just feel about myself because I'm here with Oliver Wilson and Tyron Williams. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. How, how familiar are you with Dope Dads? Is this an introduction? Is this an induction? Is this a doctrination? Where Where are we with your with your understanding of what we do over here? I actually, so I, I'm a new dad. My little one's only a, a month old, and I believe congratulations, Matthew. Thank you very much. Joining the club. Joining the club. But yeah, I um, mm-hmm. I think during the Black Lives Matter kind of stuff in the summer, I think I came across some images, some photographs of Black Lives, uh, you know. Um, that does and I thought that was quite inspiring and then I must know people connected to you that kind of came up on my algorithm and then I think I joined you on Facebook so I thought that was great then I was kind of deciding what I'm you know what it's going to be like to be a dad myself during this pandemic and I kind of parked you guys in the back of my mind going you know what as a as a human as a dad and as an artist as well I thought you know what I might actually try and connect with you guys on my journey so it's just so funny how um, now I'm here so, so what's really interesting, the first thing is becoming a new dad is like the best experience. And I, I get, I gush, I gush like in a, like, you know how people gush when they see babies? When I see new dads, I have the exact same feeling because I know that feeling where you're just like, you go from being a man and you're in the world and it's all about you. <laughs> and then it all pivots in a way where ultimately you become subservient to this person that you created and usually the person you created it with. 
um, and it really shifts and you and you do need support and that actually was the like genesis of us creating our, our space is that we just wanted to hold each other while everybody else is holding other people um, and so it's become a really useful space for for that to be honest uh, Tyrone what about you what, what, how was your awareness of your journey into um, well for me I've, I've literally only recently found out about this podcast I found out through a contact of course who I was invited to the show by um, myself I've been a father for just a little bit over a year my son was born in January a year ago, mm. so possibly the same month as yours, Oliver. I'm not sure, but um, 29th of January, so similar, mm. similar sort of month. And it's just been an incredible journey. Yeah. Some of the sort of most more challenging times, but mm. you know, where for the majority of people on this planet, you know, this past year has all been about COVID, pretty much. But for mm. me, this year has all been about Damien Marley Williams. Do you know what I mean? And that's what I'll forever mm. remember it for. So I just mm. feel blessed in that sense and um, privileged to be on this podcast with uh, other like-minded people. Um, yeah. So excited to chat to you guys. No, thank you, man. Well, one of the things that's really loud to me at the moment is it feels very weighty. Because we, we know about the lockdown. We've been in it long enough to understand it and know that, you know, we can't and there's a greater reason why but this particular point this juncture feels very heavy it feels there's just been a lot of people passing yeah. away there's just a lot of yeah. people losing jobs or not working or sure. just not being their full self and i think this is the weight of the legacy the long-term effect is now kicking in of what that will do what, what's it actually been like for for you guys just as men first but then specifically as fathers in terms of becoming fathers in the pandemic yeah well i mean it was um as a man i think you lose that structure right but not knowing as an artist as well, my industry completely shut down, so I couldn't work. I kind of, um, I was on a roll, and I think just kind of everything stopping. I was like, whoa, okay, um, what do I think? But funny enough, and I don't want to go too deep, but I was already going through my own psychological kind of questions about being a black man in this space, in this in mm. this country, in this industry, through my art. I often have played a lot of things that are quite heavy or emotionally taxing. And especially if it deals with race and stuff like that. So it already, I was already unlocked on a journey of thinking, whoa, what do I think about myself? What do I think about the world? What are the types of um, stories and narratives that I want to be a part of or help grow? So I was already wobbled. So actually the lockdown allowed me to have a bit of stillness to kind of lean into that. Um, but I think in my not knowing and my fear and going, why the hell am I going to have a baby during all this time? It's mm. all mad. I want to want, you know, I wouldn't want to, um, make it even harder i think leaning into the hope having somebody else making it not about me and having some other person some other young person to worry about so i can't give up i have to be on it i have to be hopeful even if the bbc is telling me there's no hope i have to be hope because this can't be it for the younger generation and more so yeah. what am i going to say when my young one or any young person asks us well what do i what did i do what did i think in the present and yeah. it feels like everything is crumbling down. I think that drives me forward. You know, I think I'm I'm growing from that. Your, 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 your industry was obviously decimated. So like National Theatre had to like, you know, get rid of 400, 400 jobs almost. Um, uh, we know that uh, the, the theatre production world has completely gone to a stop. You know, what what is that doing to the community? I, I know there's a lot of black people who are hugely affected. There are some people who are able to work because they've put some level of production on. But the people who are, you know, working in different roles are probably are not being booked for the same types of jobs in the same way. What 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 is the impact on, on you? I mean, I was personally very lucky. I was about to start, literally open a show at the National Theatre called All of Us. I was I was already quite lucky and I was going from job to job in the theatre. So I actually was on standby and I'm still on standby now to start again. Such weird if the, if the doors open. 
But that's very like that's a very lucky position because you've got the national, you've got the fucking, you've got the money. Okay, to mm. answer your question, I think the the lockdown has highlighted the fractions of um, discrimination, racism, stuff like that in terms of power. You know, I, I imagine a lot of organisations, black organisations, already found it hard to get funding. So you can imagine now when nobody's got funding, there's going to be a hierarchy system. Yeah. What I've been made aware of is for producers. Accessing money, knowing how to move in those circles, the money circles, um, mm. coming from the same educational background, so you know how to articulate yourself in the same way that sings to the people who've got the checks to green light your project. So mm. it's great having people as actors on the forefront, but I'm interested in, you know, um, I'm a director as well, um, but I was interested in how do you get money? I was lucky to make a project during lockdown and I got some arts council funding money. But that was through the help of another theatre company. But I'm interested mm. in black artists from the bottom to the top, knowing how to move those circles. And I imagine yeah. it's been a massive culling of people. But, you know, at the same time, you've got the Black Lives Matter movement that picked up. Hopefully there should be a, a awakening in the consciousness. Um, but we'll see if that's just kind of temporary. It comes down yeah. to power. People the power. And, and, and yourself, Tyrone, in terms of, you know, you're, you're a personal trainer, right? And you, you're a yeah. music producer as well. Sure, yeah. Um, your, your industry has also been hit pretty hard. Like, what, 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 how has that been for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, both industries have been hit or impacted in different ways, I must, I must admit. But first and foremost, I talk about the fitness side of things. So, you know, the fitness industry has been hit massively. That's clear to see. Mm. I mean, gyms, they've been one of the sort of, the side, one of the industries which has sort of had to close for the majority of this pandemic, which is unfortunate. Mm. Um, so that's made things really difficult, really challenging for gyms. The funding that they get to cover their costs whilst mm. they're closed, you know, it, it may cover some of the rent. It may cover the rent for sure, but does it put, is it enough to put food on your family's tables and these sort of things? So that makes it very difficult for owners of gyms. Mm. Most of the staff members are, m- members are furloughed, so that's fine. But when it comes to the personal trainers who are self-employed, not, that's yeah. a tricky situation because, you know, for self-employed people, and it's, that's across the board, they're getting sort of a, a smaller percentage of their general their income. income today. So mm. they're talking about, I mean, they're going to be living off what they were earning on average three years ago. So yeah. for some people, that might may have been quite a low income. So what's what's really interesting, I think is it Humphrey Cobbard, the, the, he owns Pure Gym. Um, yeah. and he's been saying that the, the lockdown has cost their business 120 million uh, without right. getting any form of revenue in, which is insane. Yeah. And, I mean, and so they, they've announced that outdoor sports can be start on the 29th of March and gyms can open on Absolutely. the 12th of April. Yeah. Is that enough? Is that, is that enough to save you and your business? Is that workable? Up until last year, August, I owned a personal training studio in Brixton just on the acre mm. lane that was up and running for about three years prior to August last year. But um, throughout the pandemic, the first lockdown, I kind of had to make some decisions about where I want to take the company, what's mm. best for the company, how can I sort of reduce costs as much as possible. Mm. So for me, I've been quite fortunate because the steps I took last year when I closed my studio um, were steps to ensure that throughout, no matter what happens throughout the rest of the pandemic, I will be okay. If that makes mm. sense. So what I did mm. is I took all my uh, fitness equipment, put it into storage for a couple of months. I spoke to a college on Brixton Hill, South Bank UTC. They have a gym there, which is quite a large gym, and it's very mm. underused. None of the students were really using it. The teachers aren't using it. So I approached that college and we had a conversation about how I can help. 
um, mm. I offered for them to basically trade services whereby I will bring my fitness equipment, all the stuff that I've purchased over the years. So that's machines, cable machines, Smith mm. machines, things like that. I'll install it in your gym to just complete and complement what you have already. And what I'll do is I'll train my clients there free of charge. So no rent. Mm. And in exchange, I'll come into the college five days a week from this hour to this hour. And I'll spend time working with your students and just basically helping them nice. build their own fitness programs and just educating them on health and the, on diet and these kinds of things. Yeah. So that's put me in a position whereby even though we were in lockdown recently, we still are. I'm not making any money specifically, but I'm not forking out any money for yeah, my business. Yeah. There are no overheads in that sense. So I've been quite fortunate. And I uh, almost feel like the definition of blackness is to be able to pivot. <laughs> absolutely. Like... absolutely. You've got to think on your feet, you know? You've got to think on your feet. And uh, uh, that's, that's important in life. We, we just don't seem to have the luxury of, of like, you know, creating something. Like even the idea that the guy from Pure Gym has lost 120 mm. million. If I was losing 120,000 pounds, I'll be, I'll, my, my life will be ruined. Like we, we, just, we just don't have that same level of fle- flexibility. Absolutely and I think not, no. there's something where I feel like the government supports and takes care of their own. And so large mm-hmm. companies like that, they'll probably prop up in some different ways um, to support them because they, they see them as mass owners. But, you know, people yeah. like us, we're just yeah, trying yeah. to make sure. So that idea where your pivot is built in, like what, how yeah. would you speak to that? Because I think <laughs> sometimes when non-Black people meet us, they yeah. don't understand that we come already highly evolved because we've gone through 30 things to arrive well, at the level you understand. What, how would you communicate that? How would I communicate that with someone coming from a different background that's sort of... Yeah, like how could you break that down in terms of your experience? Like, I, like you know, coming from where you come from to like mm. being that person. What, what does that actually take and what does it look like? What I mean, that's, that's a journey in itself, isn't it? That's a whole journey. That's a life journey, isn't it? I mean, I'm not sure about you guys and what your background is educational from an educational perspective. But, you know, I left school at the age of 15. You know, I left no GCSEs, all of that. I was just had enough. But I see that in a lot of people because there are people who have an entrepreneurial mindset. And Mm. back in my day, I'm 39 this year, but back in my day when I was at secondary school, it wasn't wasn't an educational system that was hinged around, okay, we're going to find people who are academic and that's their thing, you know. They're, they they are organized. They're on time all the time. They pay attention all the time. They 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 want to go to college. They want to go to university. They have this foresight into exactly their exact path. And then you have that had that other group, which was basically me mm. and other people you know. And we were people of more of an entrepreneurial mindset. And that mm. educational system just isn't designed for us. Yeah. So because it's not designed for us, teachers in our day didn't really want to take the time out to try and guide us. Mm. individually or or as subgroups and we were just kind of left to do what we were doing and you know because of that I just felt like school wasn't for me I want to get out I want to go and work and do what I want to do and create my own path from there and that was the start of the journey but it's a whole journey you know which you can try to explain to someone from a different background from a more sort of traditional background but whether they get it or not I'll never know you know, it's just yeah. one of those things. That's, How would you explain that sort of essence? Because it is, it's almost like a seasoning that you can't, it doesn't have a brand or a name. We just, we just know, I know it in you and you know it in me. We know we just have it. And yeah. we just, I, I suppose is that like, is that, is that a good thing? Is that how it should be? I can't, sometimes I can't tell. Like I think. Other I think, things. I think it's a good thing for the next generation. Maybe for not you personally and not for me personally, because we're kind of having to figure it out ourselves. But now yourself, you're on a platform where you can outreach to a younger generation who, you sort of 
are cut from the same cloth as yourself and you can sort of guide them better and give them more guidance than perhaps you had, certainly more mm. guidance than what I had, you know, because growing up without a father and all that kind of thing, you're just figuring it out for yourself. Um, but it's down to people like us then to pass on that knowledge. And this is one of the reasons why I love working with young people. You know, I'm in a privileged position mm. where I get to work with these youths and I see a lot of them who have the same sort of mindset I had at that age. And I could mm. see that if I don't sort of encourage them in certain ways and teach them certain things, certain values, then they may not last in that college, if that makes sense. Because I can mm. see they've already got that entrepreneurial mindset. They already want out. They're just going because their parents are telling them to. But then it's my duty of care to say, look, that's cool. You can leave now. But what mm. are you going to do? If that mm. makes sense. What are you going to do now? You may mm. as well hang around, figure out a few things, just do your education, learn as much as you can, do your best in your exams, but figure out what your passions are and where you want to expend that energy going forward once you leave this college. And, what's, um, what's your understanding, Oliver? I think, I think you always have to have balance, but we can't forget. You never forget because we are the, the kind of battle for equality or equity or justice is far from over. And I think you feel it whether you're a millionaire and the only black person on the on the best street in London, or you're feeling it if you're in the ends that I'm from, like where my family are from, and and you feel it on an estate and things like that. Like, and we're still in a white Western place, trying to thrive in a society that's not built for people like us. And you can just look at that through all the metrics of any system in the world. So mm. in one way, you're thinking, okay, you don't want to bring all that on your back, on your shoulders. You're just trying to hustle. You just want to be glad mm-hmm. to get there, mm. right? What we probably all have in common is that we can all work the room. You can kind of turn it on or mm. turn it down, your so-called blackness, to be able to get on with people because, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're not, I'm not saying that all people who are non-black don't get it and against us. It's a system ingrained in our education everywhere mm. throughout. So you feel it no matter what. You feel it when you're in a, mm. in a five-star show and you've just smashed it at the national and then you go to the West End and then you, people come to celebrate with you afterwards. And though they mean well, you're like, hold up a minute. The only person that looks like me is behind the bar or watching the door. Yeah. Nothing wrong yeah. with that. Yeah. These people love me. They're lovely or whatever, but I'm switching that on. And I too am very lucky to go back to my job. And no matter what, the black students always come to me because they're struggling they feel that struggle because yeah. they're yeah. ever having to move forward and i think we can't forget i think we've got a long way to go i think we have really have a long way to go and it's not us i can't help in terms of thinking about people in africa people in latin america my my, yeah. my child yeah. is um half Chilean, half scottish and black my, <laughs> my partner half Chilean and half scottish right but it got me thinking man you know you asked me about being a father the complexities of not only being black when I was going through my own struggles at that time, but then I'm really fascinated about the, the African diaspora uh, in Latin America. Completely yeah. different kind of like vibe. And in Africa here. So we can't just be here and, and go through our struggles in the West and then ignore the fact that um, horrific things are happening and we're benefiting right now. This laptop is benefiting from the genocide in the Congo. Yeah. Do we need to like not sleep every night thinking about it? No, but we have to represent. So, so I, I have a question because this, because this is, this is something that comes up in our groups all the time. And it's one of those things here. Yeah, so like in, in our, in our concept of blackness, we accept black, black and black and black mixed as a universal inclusive term and we're actually quite more liberal with it as as well i think that if you feel like you have a black experience you know we take it on case-by-case basis we will try to make you more inclusive than not but i think there is a thing in terms of diversifying 
even the, 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 the ethnicities of our children and what that does. There's two things that really landed with me is that one, one of my children is a lot fairer than the other. And I think there is this like, for me personally, when I, when my child, when my son, my oldest son was here, arrived, I couldn't see myself in him immediately. It, it, there was a slight disconnect for me personally. It, it maybe I had to really consciously get into the idea because I think there's something about, you know, like when you see a lion has a gave birth and licks him, it's like, that's the affinity. It's like, oh, you're a lion, I'm a lion. But like, there's just that slight difference where you think, bro, I actually, it just took a couple more weeks to really like process because his eyes were slanted. He came out very, very, very fair. And so it was just a bit different. And I think, is there is there an affinity and i don't think it's ever to say it's a, a good or bad or right or wrong i just think it's like when we're talking about the world ahead because this is the latter point that you was getting to what we're preparing our children for does it even become even harder because ultimately they're a race that we're not and h- how much awareness do i have about the mixed experience because my 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 wife had, you know my mother of my children is still mixed race and so she has her own experience she t- tells me stuff and i'm like you know, but it's, you know, but it's true is sometimes I think the mixed experience isn't seen and, and how fit am I to, you know, teach my children about the mixed experience? What what are your thoughts on that, Oliver? I think, well, we've been masters at trying to kind of work in a kind of white environment, a fair environment. So we've seen that side of it. And I think what's interesting in the girlfriend's conversation, like talking to her, we have these conversations all the time about her being mixed heritage and having a mixed child. I think this conversation would be slightly different if you lived in the Caribbean and lived in Africa. So you're mm-hmm. having that same complex conversation, but you're living in a kind of white society dominated by white people. Ultimately, I think you just have to be open and support them, but know that even though they'll have a slightly potentially easier time because of stupid um, color systems, caste systems, ultimately they're going to be seen as non-white anyway. So mm-hmm. out of my, out of my, my girlfriend, who's, who's white passing, in some places, he's always going to be seen as black, no matter what. And it's so interesting when you go to Cuba or other places like that, when you have 50 different types of shades, the complexities mm. are even there more so. But yeah. I think um, I have to educate that and be open in all sides. But you can't forget, my man. You can't yeah. forget and you need to represent your, your side, if you see it as sides, uh, as much as possible. And so they can dip in and out and um, hold on to whatever identity that they choose. What about you, T? In terms of like ethnicity, is your children, they look like you? Did you have that affinity when they first came? Yeah, so I get what you're saying with that, you know, and um, it's something that was actually explained to me prior to me having having my child. But um, so it's something that was, you know, I was kind of thinking about ahead of that. I wasn't sure if it is going to be down to because, you know, my child is mixed race and I'm black and that kind of thing. But I don't know. For me personally, it just felt more because, you know, those first few weeks, those, those first moments, he's going to be so attached to his mother. You know, she's going to be so attached to him. And mm. I'm so attached to him, but I've got to kind of just. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Take a little step aside and let them have their moment, if that makes sense, because... Mm. He needs her more than anything, more than mm. me at this current time. So I realized this is kind of, this is your time now, this first couple couple months. But once these couple months pass and little Damien starts to become more aware, you know, we're going to start connecting more. And it was mm. after about two to three, three months that he and I started to really connect and I could really feel that bond. But you're right. I do. I did feel it took a bit longer than I guess I first expected. Yeah. But was it I a factor for either of you very quickly? Was it a factor in terms of like, when, when you were choosing your, because we, you know, when we, when we talk about love and relationships, the simplicity yeah, yeah, is you meet someone yeah, yeah. and you just want them. You're like, yo, you, yeah, you yeah, are the yeah, thing. Yeah. And your mind is like focused. Yeah. And then after a while, you're like, oh, if we're going to do this, this means, you know, you start looking at their family and you're like, oh, no, what's your family? Right. Where'd you come from? Right. You know, like, what's your mum like? And we got to get along. How, what, how do you make food? Do you season? Do you wash your meat? Like, you know, you start asking questions about really important things. And then you get to the point of like, oh, I'm going to have children. And then it's like, well, hold on a second. Yeah. Because now, was that was that a part of the DNA? And where, where, where in the listing or does it just not matter to you? Where, yeah, where I'll, I'll be honest, man. It, it really didn't matter to me. You know, yeah. I've I've come from a background where my friendships... You know, all of that has been so diverse from day one. You know, you look at my collective of friends, they're all different colours from all different places around the world. And it's been like that from nursery, school, right the way through to this day and age. And over time, man, just race, it wasn't a factor for me. You know, I'm aware mm. there's racism. I've had racial abuse hurled at me before. Mm. I've been in those situations. I've been to other countries where I feel uncomfortable. Um, all, all of the above. But over time, I just realised, you know what's most important? is that you just love mm. and care for people and have good times and just keep a good group of people around you that have no agenda, mm. but to see you, but to see you succeed and help you succeed. And I've been fortunate to have that. And when I met my partner, Krista, no sort of racial thoughts or tensions or issues came up. What was funny though, I think she's from Latvia. So this is, I found this hilarious, but it reminded me a bit of the movie Get Out. And then mm. um, that's a bit, concerned going to Latvia for the, for the first time because Damn. I met Krista about three years ago so it's been we've been together only a short while we went to Latvia last year in the summer August mm. so just after lockdown was lifted we went out there took Damien out there so he could meet the family and everything but it wasn't really until earlier last year like January that I found out that her grandparents don't know that I'm black and oh. I was like, yo, Krista, like, mm. <laughs> how are you going to feel about this? You know what I mean? Like, she's like, oh, it's fine. Who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter what they think. <laughs> she was on that vibe. You know, she, doesn't, she didn't care. Like, they could think whatever they yeah. want. But I guess deep down, she knew they wouldn't have a problem with it. Because when I went over there, 
you know, they didn't even blink twice when they first saw me. It's just like, mm. oh, guys, welcome. Hello, how are you? And it was just all natural. So I'm mm. kind of lucky in that sense. But yeah, um, yeah. I see how it could have but been. The thing is, you know the, the dangers of what it could have been, though. You know you Bro, know the other side of that, where it would have been like, you actually can't come in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come in yeah. and we were, they, they live in the countryside in the sticks. So when mm. I say it reminded me of the movie Get Out, I just thought vividly of the moment when they're driving through the forest and I'm just thinking, <laughs> where are we going? I'm How am I going to get out of there? Shit takes a twist and <laughs> turn for the worst. <laughs> oh, mate. Um, but to be honest, man, I've been lucky. I've been very fortunate. It's all been blessed. It's all been smooth. And I know there are issues out there where people have, a issue, have issues with in, interracial relationships and all that kind of thing. But do you know what? I leave that conversation to those people who feel that it's necessary to have that conversation. If you feel it's necessary to have that conversation, then you really need to have a conversation with yourself is how I look at it. Because love yeah. is love. And that's what yeah. it is at the end of the day. And all I want yeah. is my child to be around happy people. And, and that, that's the be all and end all. Yeah. Where are you at with, it, with Oliver? You know, this is a deep question, my man, because I, I thought... For ages, I didn't really think about it. Similar, like, my parents, luckily, my, my parents are still together and brought up in a very kind of diverse environment. I've had loads of mixed couples around me. So I've never had like, really a problem with that. I haven't thought about that. During drama school, my first seven years as an actor, I never wanted to talk about race. I just wanted to do Shakespeare and not be um, doing Yes, Brav, No, Brav and stabbing someone for no reason, I would put it. I wanted characters from Gravitas and the intellect and all those things like that. Did a play called Nine Night about a Jamaican family in, in at the National. Yeah, can I just tell you? Yeah, apart from the yeah. context of Nine Nights being like based on someone passing away, it's one of the most mm. incredible experiences. Mm. It's high low. It's learning stories. It's great food. You get to see family and friends. It just it's a it's a, a bit of a mind f because somehow Caribbeans have made this this moment incredible and memorable and transformative, but also very, very sad. So it's a very Caribbean, it's a most Jamaican thing, I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Well, I was very lucky to do a play all about that. Cut story mm. short, like it smashed at the National, we transferred in the West End. But that profound experience doing something that connected with my own people, for my family come see themselves on stage and all the wonderful things, black and white, interactions that I had, that thing shook me up, man. It really made me think about the impact and just for the first time, being directed by a black director and for the first mm. time. <laughs> nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Nothing saying that it's better, but that shorthand, that difference. Mm. But to also have all the money, all the backing that you need. It wasn't like a lesser production. It was the best of its best. It earned its rights, um, but beautifully, unapologetically black. Man, it got me thinking about a whole heap of stuff. Um, mm. And uh, I've always been with a, a you know a mixed um, group of women and stuff like that. I've never really had a preference. Like the girlfriend before my my my, my mother now my baby mother who that's it for me obviously um she was black right mm. I've been with black women before but she was black and I was with her at a time where I was going through some deep questions man I was going through deep questions about the people around me the industry around me and and learning loads about the plight of black women and kind of understanding some more complexities by being with someone being intimate with someone to hear all the highs and lows about how they see themselves the I'm questioning whether do I prefer white people because of my conditioning. Mm. No matter what I say, is, is is am I just so happy to be in that white environment, to be at the national, to be the only person in the room? I'm so glad to be there. I don't even mm. recognise that I have the psychological psychosis that's within myself. Mm. And I would argue at that time, at my lowest time, where I really just wanted to watch black stuff and think about <laughs> black, hate myself. 
about ancient Egyptians and what's going on in my own history. I needed that shorthand. Nothing mm. wrong with not having a white person, but I felt that deeply. I had those thoughts, what you're saying about having a black child. I sometimes listen to people that maybe would seem as more radical in terms of we should only be with black people because we need to bolster up our race. What's the point of moving out of the hood, so to speak, <laughs> and then getting the white money, doing well, and then interacting mm. with people not in your own generation and it gets watered down? And it's likely, is it like more likely that your mixed race kids will continue being a more of a white environment than a black environment? Those deep questions was there. But anyway, through love, it didn't quite work out with that person. And I didn't want to be with them because in the end, I wanted to be happy. You know, it had nothing to do with race. I wanted to be happy. And I found my partner because she was great. And I thought I could be happy with her. Yes, maybe her being Chilean, maybe not being fully English probably has something to do with it. There's a kind of understanding about not being fully white in this society. So maybe I wasn't a massively Greek. But in the ultimately, I realized that I can't be the thing that I'm trying to change. If my child turns around to me and says that they're gay or they um, want to um, be with a Chinese person, if I say no to them, am I willing to say no to them? For what? To lose my son, to lose my child because I don't agree with what they're saying. Mm. I've spent my mm. whole time fighting racism and then I'm going to say no on the principle of race myself. Right. I have to be the thing that I'm trying to change. Sorry, that so, 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 sorry to compound this question, yeah, because we've gone, we've gone down a rabbit hole, but we're here now and I, and I'm, and I'm in the room mm. of it. Cause this is stuff that, you know, I've, my opinion on it has floated around. So historically, uh, I would only have dated black women, specifically dark skinned black women. That would have been my way of, you know, a, a tree, fruit from the tree of my mother almost. And so that became really important to me. And then I felt like, you know, there was nothing wrong with that experience, but the ones that didn't work, I felt like I actually needed to express and understand what just connecting with people meant. So I've gone on different journeys of understanding, but the question that that is usually proposed by those, we'll call them black extremists, is that fair? Um, is that they would say, then how do you preserve and consider yourself to be pro-black while not dating, you know, the women that we created, ultimately the original women of the, the planet? Um, we don't date them, but then we say we're pro-black. Is, the, is that a conflict then? Is that a valid question? Or, or is it just a cool point, but not practical in terms of where we're heading? Because I think there's two different things. We're, all, like, we're a black platform, but it's about preserving the black people that are here. But then there is this question of like, but if we, if we don't and we're constantly mixing races, are we able to continue having a black community? Because isn't everyone going to be mixed in four generations then anyway? Like, is, is there preservation in that or is it just we're all going in this direction? You no, know, for me personally, it's more about helping that next generation. And okay, my partner isn't black, but that doesn't mean that I'm not pro-black. You know, a lot of the energy that I expend in trying to develop and help other people and mentor other people is spent with young black people, if that makes sense. So mm. that's where I'm doing my part for the black community to making sure that we can uplift ourselves and uprise ourselves and do the best we can in society and better ourselves in society. And I think that's every bit more important than ha ensuring that you have a black partner. Um, because for me, mm. I don't see how that helps. Because if you're just going to be with someone just because they're black, but what if you don't get on? What if the love's not there? What happens in the future? Mm. You know, there's going to be that friction. You're going to have those fights. You're going to have those arguments, which therefore your son, your daughter then gets to witness. They learn these things from you. They become something mm. like you. And then it's just a vicious cycle. But for me, man, the key is just always love and good energy and the rest doesn't matter. That's it. It's, it's mm. literally as simple as that. I don't understand how we complicate things so much and so often, but help each other. I, I think I think that's just a, a really beautiful message because I think um, 
there, there is there, I, we never really understand we know where we're trying to go mm-hmm. but i think sometimes the approaches of where we get we're going differ and then if we change the approaches we ultimately can change our goal as well and, and we just get muddled into this cycle like there are some people who are you know they're about protecting the black identity and right. the dark-skinned black identity and there are other intersections there are other communities who do this also so this is not just unique to us mm. and there are other people that are a lot more open in terms of like the progression of humanity and we can be able to just love each other and the only way to do that is just the more integration and mixing that we do the more it becomes normalized and you know soon there'll be like there'll be there'll be every single white person or every brown person will have someone from another intersection or racial identity mm. in their family so it just closes the gap of these these divides and so I suppose that's where we're saying we're heading, right? We're saying collectively, like, we need to preserve our experience as black people now, um, but also be aware that, like, as we go forward, this will evolve into a point where potentially racism won't even be possible because there'll be enough integration where that will be the majority over everything else. It's inevitable, right? Surely. Um, well, potentially, potentially, also some so-called extremists or other stats of science would be like, well, it's ridiculous. It's actually a fallacy to be like, black people will be no more because it's often seen from a Western lens. There's a whole heap of people in, in South America and Africa. Plenty of black people in the world. And mm-hmm. in four or five years' time, it's going to grow. The population is going to grow mm-hmm. anyway. We're just talking about um, finance and the growing of the middle class and um, having less children but more people surviving for longer. There will be a, uh, a growth in black people anyway. And some people will sure. say, well, you have an overriding gene anyway. So if the middle class grow in the global south, some people, and maybe this is what some white elitists are fearful of, is that mm. the more wealthy black people get, you we have the overriding gene. So if they're mm. not, they're definitely not going to get whiter. They're going to get darker. So that might be why people get going on on their conspiracy theories about people trying to keep the black population down. Um, mm. So it depends on whose science, whose reference points. And it comes again to narrative, and that's what I love about this book, this podcast, is shaping new narratives. We need to see mm. the black families. It's not 100% two. There's more black people, families together than there are um, broken down or right. people going with other races. We need right. to see mm. And then, like, all critical thinking. I say this to my students, which I'm practice myself. I'm a big believer in critical thinking and wisdom. Once you see all the information, then make an informed decision. And I think what mm. you only see is because, because again, because of money, you often just see the basketball player or the football player or the actor, dare I say, <laughs> not with the race, but you don't see everybody else. You know, now if you mm. want to talk about the, the rich area and often you might see a black, a mixed race couple, then fine, because that's economics. But around the corner on that estate, there's a whole heap of black families. There might be some people that are separated. There might be some black kids killing each other, but there's mm. more black kids that are not. There's more great yeah. fathers that are not. And that's what I'm inspired by this, is that we need to see that. We need to see that. But that's not mm. interesting because the people who are commissioning these stories yeah. are, are not black and don't mm. have the, the experience to put that in front of mainstream media. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Uh, I have a, uh, cause I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the impact. Cause I think it's important. And then I want to, I want to end on something. I think what's really important is that your, your industries have been uh, impacted quite heavily from COVID. And I think there's almost like sometimes, you know, especially when the actors industry, I've, I've, in, in, in the theater and the film production, there was such little care for such an important industry, um, that really funds, like in West End, it funds a whole ecosystem of like bars and shops and fashion and, and all these different things that theater, um, creates. Um, if, if there was a message to, to, 
we'll say Boris for now, but you know, Boris, much as to Boris, what actually is it that you would like him to understand or to say that he doesn't, that clearly hasn't landed uh, amongst him and Rishi and uh, Pretty Patel? I would say narrative is powerful, and I and I think we can see that the reason why mental health <laughs> is an issue, but isn't as bad as it should be, is because people are relying on the TV and other narratives to keep them sane. And that, like you said, mm. the, the art industry is, is funding um, loads of other sub-communities and there's loads of people that are seeing themselves through the arts, whether it's theatre or TV, that's helping them shape their narrative. A lot of people mm. are not turning to BBC. They're not seeing themselves in positions of power other than the stories that we tell. And as humans, mm. storytelling, passing on our stories is what kept us alive. Um, and I think they're not thinking about that. They're not thinking about there's loads of people in the education system that through the arts is how they how they thrive. How how Shakespeare's amazing, but you have your own Shakespeare people in the music industry doing their own poetry. What is rap? So all this 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 narrative comes in different forms, but doesn't come from the standard selected, um, often white male um, middle class kind of way of doing it. That isn't mm. the narrative that we need to mm. be seeing far more complex than that. Um, so art is dangerous and every time you've had a revolution, dare I say, there's been a there's been a renaissance in art. It reflects, it echoes what's going on economically, uh, politically. So it's a dangerous tool, man. What I find it, I find interesting is that a lot of actors with a lot of power are being very quiet because they're fearful of getting too political because what will happen? Mm. But the politicians done though. Look at look at Trump. Unfortunately, the massive example how they will use the arts to sway the people. Mm. And I would say you keep on pushing people, you keep on pushing the working class who often work in the arts. I reckon in four or five years, if they don't sort out the knock-on effect of lockdown, which again will disproportionately affect black people more, there will be an artistic revolution and a push forward, a demand for people to see themselves. And they've got to watch out because the internet is changing everything. Yeah. YouTube is not like everything. You need to watch out, man. And I think mm. they're going to censor it and they're going to block it down because they can't, they can't control that. Yeah. yeah. What would you say, Tyra? What's your I, dear I, Boris letter? I agree with a lot of what you just said there, Oliver. And, you know, it's a concern where they're trying to lead, you know, the, the arts world and other sort of industries. And you can, you can see it going that way. There's, there's less and less jobs now. There's less and less opportunities for people in the performing arts industry. Um, there's more and more competition on the music side of the in- entertainment industry because now what you've got is you've got a load of people staying home with not much to do. So they're producing more music. Um, they're submitting more music to whatever they're submitting music opportunities for. Um, so the, it, it's a difficult time in that sense. And, you know, you have a government now saying to you, you should try to find other careers, you know, more standardized careers and things like that. And that's not a good message. That's not what we want to see because like Oliver was saying about, you know, YouTube and restrictions and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's not a good look because YouTube is a place for arts, artists, performers to express themselves. So even a time like this, you're going there to try and gain viewers, to grow your business, to grow your popularity. But then, you know, you're getting this platform in particular that you're using to try and grow is then try, mm-hmm. trying to restrict what you can do and how much you earn and all these kind of things. It just concerns me with 
where our governments are trying to direct us in the future, basically. I just feel mm. like they're trying to put us all into one sort of box and have a society where we're kind of all earning a similar sort of income. We're not, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of diminishing the chance of getting, say, the next Elon Musk or the next, you know, John Boyega and things like mm. that. And I just feel like, you know, that's the sort of bleak future that they, that they prefer us to have because that helps that so-called 1% club to keep, you know, their sort of... Uh, level of power and all these kind of things. I'm going somewhere else with this, but, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but it concerns me where our governments want us to go and mm. um, the restrictions that they're putting on us. And I just think that, you know, for people out there who are struggling with mental health, just stay true to yourself, you know, keep working on your art, keep trying to grow yourself as a human being and all these kind of things. And eventually, you know, things will come good for you and just use this time wisely, you know? Guys, thank you so much for coming and joining me, man. It means a lot. Um, I really appreciate your thoughts. I think, I think the most important thing, and I think to take away just, you know, the arts have been quite heavily impacted. You know, health and fitness Mm. is fundamentally important for people's mental health. But, you know, these businesses, these people, you you guys need real support. And I think it impacts, you know, usually black and brown people significantly more because we're in those spaces, usually on the front line or with small to medium sized businesses. And so we get impacted by these things a lot more. And it's, you know, it's just not really good enough. I think, I think it's another question. We probably should have another conversation about what it is to move to another territory because it's been a common conversation. Like I'm in South Africa right now. Um, and it's a whole different ball game, you know, being, being here where black is default is a whole another world. And I think it's really empowering and freeing when, when that's the case. Um, and I think we can, you know, you can help build other powerful nations if you're not appreciate where you are. But guys, thank you so hey, much. Um, I really appreciate your time today and we'll definitely thank connect you. again and, and, uh, and I'll make sure we're, we're in touch by the end of the day. But bless you guys. Thank you. And so thank you guys for listening. I really much appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, you can find us at at Dope Black Dads on all social media platforms. You can also email me for a chat at hello at dopeblackdads.com. Thank you so much for listening, my brothers. I appreciate you all. Uh, we'll be back next week. you trust your gut and that gut feeling can lead to a kick in the guts but your gut instinct was right so you bust a gut because someone will have your guts if you don't (sighs) you know what your gut deserves Glenillen Farm Yogurt breasting with live cultures it's the daily way to keep your gut happy and healthy and tastes delicious to boot choose Irish choose local choose Glenillen Farm meet Seamus he and his wife are driving in their new Citroen C5 Aircross SUV to her birthday dinner which he forgot in a restaurant that she had to book. She married a cliché. This could be a very uncomfortable drive. Except the Citroen C5 Aircross SUV comes with advanced comfort seating and progressive hydraulic cushion suspension, making it a very comfortable drive indeed. Citroen. Engineered for comfort. See citroen.ie. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 